Peaceful Parenting by Stefan Molyneux. Preferences and Identity So many people believe that denying their immediate preferences makes them less themselves. How can this be false? If you are defined by your preferences, then how can denying your preferences not equal denying yourself? Sacrificing yourself means having less of yourself, right? Yeah. This is all a grisly product of modern secularism. The religious approach to life defines your essence as a soul, not a body. Secularism denies the soul and so reduces us to mere flesh. Are you your body, your brain, or your mind? If you are your body, there is little point deferring gratification. The body works on a very short time frame. Work to satisfy your flesh moment to moment. Your flesh is content. If you are your brain, well, that works on a longer time frame because the brain can process the long-term effects of choices. But the brain remains mortal, composed of flesh, and will die with the body. The body wants to satisfy the moment. The brain plans for the mortal lifespan. What about the mind? If you are reading this in 50 years, I am long dead. But the products of my mind live on. I live in your mind, in your inner voice that reads this. My brain is dust. My words are very much alive. Do you see? Your body is for now. Your brain is for your life. But your mind is for eternity. The hunger, pain, and lusts of your body demand immediate satisfaction. Your brain will deny your body, don't eat that, go exercise for the sake of future happiness in your lifetime. Your mind will deny your body and your brain for the sake of universal, eternal truth and happiness. So I ask you again, are you your body, your brain, or your mind? What makes you, specifically, human? What makes you human must be something that differentiates you from the animals, something that no other creature or thing can achieve. All animals live for the body, and Many plan for the future using their brains. Squirrels hide nuts for the winter. Beavers build dams for their young. Birds do mating dances for future reproduction. All this uses the brain to defer the gratification of the body. We share all this with the animals, but 
we have one defining characteristic they do not possess. The capacity for abstract, universal thought. The equation that two and two make four is as true now as it was a thousand years ago, or five thousand years ago. Universal concepts unite us in eternity. The definition of a lizard remains true for all time. Extracting universal concepts from immediate sense data is the functional machinery of the human mind. A dog can catch a ball you throw, but the dog can never mathematically calculate its path. Equations, scientific principles, universal moral truths, these are the essence of us all, what makes us most specifically human. If you are secular, you can understand that the concept of God is the abstraction for the immaterial mind that makes us most human. God is immortal. Truth lives forever. God is all-knowing. The truth defines reality with absolute and eternal accuracy. God is all-ethical. Universal moral truths define perfect virtue. What is called the soul is an abstraction for the definition of what makes us human. What makes us all-knowing, immortal, and virtuous? What makes us different from the animals? If you remove from us our capacity for eternity, for infinity, for omniscience, then we can only live for ourselves, for our bodies and our brains. We cannot outlive ourselves, so we only live for ourselves. Ourself is all we are, so sacrificing ourselves is always a net loss. We have nothing to live for other than the pleasures of our own lifespan. We do not partake of eternity. We are never larger than our own short lives. There's an old story about a primitive chieftain responding to Christian missionaries when they first told him about the immortal soul. He said, We only think of life like a bird flying through a room, in one window and out the other. We never think of where it came from. We never think about where it goes. But you have told us what lies outside the windows. This is the evolution from cunning ape to divine human. If who you are is only mortal, sacrificing yourself for something beyond yourself makes no sense at all. It's like denying yourself cheesecake on the day of your execution because you want to watch your weight. There are three ways that human beings 
can work with universals. The first is to create them, to identify new ideas, truths, and concepts. The second is to manifest them, to embody virtue and truth by living morally and honestly. The third is to reproduce them, to recreate concepts in others. Very few of us are granted the privilege of creating universals, just as very few of us make movies or songs. We can all manifest universals by accepting and living the truth, both material and moral. A few of us can reproduce universals by explaining them to others and inspiring the pursuit of truth and virtue. But the vast majority of us can only participate in universals by having and raising children. Think of nutrition. Very few of us can make radical advances in the science of nutrition. Very few of us have the skill and charisma to inspire others to eat well. But every parent feeds their children and can teach them about nutrition. Think of exercise. How many people can truly advance the science of exercise? How many people can be effective personal trainers? How many parents can play a sport with their children? If you take away children, you take away the essence of humanity for most of humanity. By encouraging the having and raising of children, you are encouraging what is greatest and deepest in the human mind. Most people will never write poems or stories or songs that will last the test of time. Everyone can write. There is only one Shakespeare. Shakespeare is immortal. Most other writers have forgotten. Our bodies die. And when our bodies die, our brain dies. The contents of our minds, what we teach others and our children, make us immortal. This is one reason why it is such a betrayal to fail to have children if you can. You are destroying the ultimate art of your ancestors, yourself, and your eternal offspring. You are shattering the great chain of life and the mind that stretches back to foggy prehistory for as long as there have been people. Here is another brutal fact. Can you have a relationship without any communication? Of course not. How do we communicate? Through language. What is language? Codified concepts. Universal. Eternal concepts that we use to communicate facts, truth, and reality to each other. 
Can you have a relationship with someone if you disagree on the definition of every word you speak? Of course not. Most conflicts occur because of such disagreements on definitions. If you ask me, how was your day? And I respond as if you have stated, your liver is blue. Can we have a conversation? Nope. Concepts make us human. And humans are the only animals with conceptual language. And we cannot have relationships without language. Therefore, if we deny concepts, we cannot relate to anyone. Can we develop a complex and universal language over the span of a few decades? Of course not. You only have the words you use to interact with others, to have relationships, because language has evolved over tens of thousands of years. If no one had any children, you would not be able to talk to anyone. You are strip-mining the sacrifices of others in order to have relationships in the present. You are a vampire of eternal history, taking and taking and giving nothing in return. Are you reading this or listening to this on an electronic device? Do you think that human beings can go through the entire development of reason, epistemology, metaphysics, science, and technology in just a few decades? Of course not! You only get to read this or listen to this, my words, on a tablet or even a book because people have had enough children that knowledge can be passed down for tens of thousands of years. Again, with no kids, you are a vampire. You are taking all the benefits of everyone else having children without contributing any children of your own. Monstrous. Absolutely monstrous. How dare you? How dare you take the sacrifices of everyone else and use them for your own petty, selfish pleasures? If you were having a potluck dinner where everyone was expected to bring a dish and half the people showed up empty-handed and hungry, what would you think? Tell me something else. When you get old, do you want health care? How are there going to be any doctors to take care of you if no one has any children? Do you want running water, heat in the winter and cooling in the summer? How is any of that infrastructure going to be maintained if no one has any children? <laughs> Here's another one. Do you expect to get your old age pension? You know there's no money to pay you, right? It's all been spent decades ago. How are you going to get your pension? If no one has any children, there's no one for you to steal from to get your pension. Do you see how contemptible your behavior is? How greedy, how selfish, how monstrous? You are relying on everyone else's sacrifice to get everything you want and need. If everyone lived as you do, your life would turn into hell itself. You want to consume the pleasures that other people's sacrifices have built and maintained. 
I'm not saying that it's evil or immoral to avoid having children. It's a well-known fact that many of our greatest conceptual thinkers avoided having kids. But that is because they are partaking of eternity and universals through their mental labors, not their physical child's raising. I could forgive Shakespeare for not having children. He lives on in other ways. But you? Come on. Everything you value, everything that makes your life pleasant, everything that makes your existence possible has come into being because other people had and have children. If you don't want to have children, fine. Just don't make a virtue out of it. Don't scorn and attack the mothers and fathers whose offspring give you life, health, and comfort as you age. Don't refer to mothers as brood mares and claim that you are so deep and virtuous and enlightened by not having children. Don't ramble on about how you are saving the environment and making sure that the atmosphere is not overburdened with plant food. Be selfish. Own it. Don't excuse it. If you show up to a potluck dinner empty-handed and eat everyone else's food, don't sneer at them for cooking what you eat. Don't talk through your full chewing mouth about how virtuous you are for not bringing any food. Don't lecture the people who feed you that preparing food is dull, stupid, worthless work that only idiots would pretend to enjoy. It's beyond vile. If you don't want to contribute to the great and universal human story, but only stay alive because others make sacrifices, just be honest about it. Just say, I'm too petty and selfish to make any sacrifices myself, but I really appreciate you guys having kids because someone has to take care of me as I age. Ah, I suppose it is asking entirely too much for such selfish people to show any gratitude at all. But a man can dream, right? That is the stick. Here is the carrot. Benefits of having children. Most misery in the world is both petty and self-inflicted. When you have children, niggling self-destructive thoughts mostly evaporate in your mind. <laughs> you have so much fun with your children and take such pleasure in their development that paltry Vain thoughts about idiotic deficiencies vanish. Try worrying about some conflict at work when you are playing a hilarious board game with your children. <laughs> Try taking life too seriously when you are hunting your kids with a water gun. Try being stressed when your toddler falls asleep in the crook of your arm as you are reading a story. Parenting is an endless series of little joys that erase pettiness with true perspective. Without children, without any sacrifice for universals, death is also far more frightening. Which do you fear more, death or being put under for an operation? Death, of course. Death is 
forever. You do not wake from death. As a parent, your body will die. Your brain will die. But your body and mind will live on in your children. Your genes and thoughts will be passed on forever. Of course, they will be diluted over time, but nothing in the future will ever be the same because you had and raised children. We live on in our communicated thoughts, our ideas, our arguments, our universal exhortations to virtue, and in our children who manifest our thoughts on a daily basis. You are not yourself alone. You are a vehicle for eternity. You exist because your parents had children. Your genes and cells exist and function because life has existed and functioned for billions of years. Physical matter has existed for tens of billions of years. Perhaps even longer, the physics is always extending. The complexity of your atoms only exists because stars have burned, compressed, and exploded for tens of billions of years. You are literally composed of the far-flung flesh of dying stars. Your heart only pumps because it was once a flame in the nuclear reactor of a distant sun. You are universal. Every atom you are made of has existed for all time. It is universal, eternal. All the physical forces you are subjected to have existed for all time. They are universal, eternal. Life is fleeting. Human thoughts are eternal. Our brain is mortal. Our minds are gods. God created life. As can we. It is no accident that as the birth rate has declined, depression, anxiety, and mental illness have all skyrocketed. We think that we can find happiness by avoiding responsibility but our capacity for happiness only exists because our ancestors did not avoid responsibility. Frauds, thieves, and pickpockets are not happy. Those who pillage from the general good are miserable. Those who scorn more responsible souls for the very responsibility that keeps everyone alive can never be happy. It doesn't have to be this way. Just be honest. You are not really contemptuous of parents. You are just scared 
that no good soul wants to have a baby with you. Scorn is a mask for insecurity. You scorn families because no one wants to make a family with you. You scorn parenthood because you fear a child will never love you. You scorn eternity because the devil in your heart has tricked you into living only for the moment, into abandoning the very definition of your humanity. Change. Turn back. Rejoin us. You can be loved, but you must first stop hating. Discipline without violence. There is a near infinite difference between peaceful parenting and unparenting. Unparenting is based on the lazy assumption that children do not need to be raised, trained, or guided in any way. Unparents let children stay up as late as they want, eat whatever they want, watch whatever they want, do whatever they please without any guidance at all. In other words, unparents treat their children as if they were brain-damaged adults. If children generally make reasonable decisions and don't need any authority, then they are already functioning adults. For unparents, children are tiny adults with mysteriously undeveloped brains living in someone else's house with few responsibilities, no jobs, tax obligations, nutrition or exercise requirements. They exist in a kind of lazy socialist paradise where everything is paid for by their parents without any requirement for ethics, growth or responsibility. The goal of parenting is to prepare children for successful adulthood. Successful morally which often translates into material success, but not always, of course. It is better for your soul to be good and poor rather than wealthy and corrupt. Wealth is fine, but it is morally neutral. Wealth is like sex. It's fine as long as you get it voluntarily and not through force, fraud, or corruption. Morality helps with success. Moral people are excellent to do business with because they're not constantly looking for ways to cheat you or find loopholes in contracts. Work with them long enough, you don't need any contracts because they are innately trustworthy and all the lawyers can go home. A moral person is inexpensive to do business with. And when you do business with a good man, you also gain access to his entire business circle, stuffed to the gills with equally trustworthy people. Why is unparenting. So bad. Adult life is full of obligations and restrictions and laws and rules and regulations and temptations. As an adult, no one forces you to do anything specifically, but there are enormous consequences for failure as a whole. The government doesn't force you to be a doctor or lawyer or a panhandler. As an adult, what you do with your life is largely up to you, but the consequences of your choices are immeasurable. Raising children 
without rules or feedback or consequences is not at all preparing them for adulthood. As an adult, people don't just pay your bills and let you do whatever you want. You don't have a live-in maid and cook. Your laundry is not done and folded for you. The fridge doesn't magically fill up by itself. You actually have to be concerned about income and expenses. The number of young adults lacking basic life skills is truly alarming these days. Cooking is a largely forgotten art. Cleaning is sporadic and inefficient. No one seems to do household budgets anymore, and impulse buying seems to be a constant compulsion. If you do everything for your children without expecting anything in return, you're just raising bottomlessly selfish and entitled narcissists. You are, in fact, crippling them as adults. Of course, we do everything for babies and toddlers. They don't have to provide value in return because they are busy learning how to crawl, walk, and talk, not engaging in complex negotiations of value transfer. However, as children sail past the ages of two or so, it's time to start setting expectations. If they take out their toys, they should put them away. Why? Well, because that's what happens when you are an adult. When I was a bachelor and I made a mess in my apartment, no magical elves tidied up my room as I slept. The purpose of parenting is to transfer adult skills to children so the children can become skilled adults. Parents who did not teach their children language would not be transferring their own language skills to their children and would end up crippling them as adults. A parent who teaches her child how to read is transferring her own skills to her child so that the child will not be crippled as an adult. Transferring cultural and moral values is the essence of human parenting. Philosophical values, really. Your ancestors suffered and bled and fought and died for tens of thousands of years to deliver unto you particular cultural and moral values. In particular, in the West, the values of the free market, free speech, political liberties, the value of debate and critical thinking. You probably wouldn't be overly thrilled if you gave birth to a child with the brain of a monkey. Failing to transfer your cultural and moral values to your children is not only a spit in the face of your ancestors, but leaves your children without the higher values and callings that differentiate us from the apes. Every living thing other than human beings is programmed by nature and lacks the capacity to compare proposed actions to ideal standards. A monkey may cuff her baby for being annoying, but she does not lecture him about his failure to achieve her lofty moral standards. Moral standards are what make us human. They are what differentiate us from mere animals. Animals don't possess any abstract concept called honesty and could not conceive of punishing a fellow animal for the moral crime of lying. In fact, falsehood is an essential survival strategy for countless species, which continually lie and cheat and steal. Denying children abstract standards is 
denying them their humanity, their soul, if you like. Also, if you don't tell your children about right and wrong, good and evil, actions and consequences, other infinitely more malevolent people will. Either you teach your children about the truth, or strangers will train them to lie. You need to teach your children to love virtue. If you punish your children for their moral failings, you are teaching them to fear virtue. You are forcing them, programming them, to associate moral judgments with physical and emotional agony. Virtue thus equals torture. Not a great recipe for encouraging children to be good. Now, the relationship between morality and consequences can be quite complex. We cannot judge the morality of a proposition by its consequences, because that would be like trying to prove that two and two do not equal four by pulling out a Ouija board or a horoscope. If you prove to someone that the world is a sphere, and they reply that it is not because they had a dream that it was banana-shaped, you would not consider that a valid rebuttal to your logical and empirical argument, right? The reason that we cannot judge morality by its consequences is that consequences lie in the foggy realm of mysticism and imagination, while moral arguments lie in the solid realm of reason and evidence. Judging a moral argument by its consequences is like judging an argument against a religious commandment such as evil heresy. Imagining that we can know the future is a form of fantastical, tyrannical mysticism. It is the modern equivalent of screaming blasphemy and gathering outraged, mouth-breathing villages to chase and burn independent thinkers. The more important and central the moral argument, the less we can predict its consequences. Many of the people who opposed the end of slavery did so because they said that without slaves, it would be impossible to produce enough food and clothing. They had zero ability to peer deep into the future and predict the massive proliferation of labor-saving devices that would emerge from humanity's brilliance after the end of slavery. Ah, people always oppose moral arguments by summoning the demonic voodoo specters of imaginary consequences. They take their own anxieties, project them into a fantastical ether, and then try to manifest them back into the minds of others as woeful tales of infinite suffering. Oh, if you want to privatize government-run healthcare, then I guess you're totally fine with sick people dying in the streets. Oh, it's all very predictable, very boring, and rigidly anti-human. Animals make decisions on predicted consequences. The lion says, I guess I will chase this zebra because otherwise I'll get too hungry. Humans make decisions on moral principles. Imagining that we have the power to predict consequences is picturing ourselves as omniscient gods. It is a stomach-turning vanity that even the most bottomless narcissist would flinch from. Of course, 
If someone rejects a moral argument because he knows exactly how it will play out across the world for the next few years or decades, then he is claiming an incredible ability to divine the future that by its definition will be entirely different from the present. If you advocate for ending slavery, then clearly the future will be entirely different from the past and the present, since everything in the present is founded on the institution of slavery. If you advocate for no-fault divorce, then you have zero ability to know exactly how this will play out in society, because one of the central pillars of family law will have fundamentally changed. Of course, someone can say, I have the ability to know exactly how the world plays out in the future based upon incomplete information in the present. While I think that is epistemologically impossible, the future is unknowable because of the infinite creativity of free will, as an empiricist myself, I would be very happy to test out that hypothesis. Oh, wow. You have the ability to know the future? That's incredible. Let's start off small. Can you tell me how much your stock portfolio is worth? What do you mean? Well, if you have the ability to know the future, then you know which stocks will go up and down. So you must have used your predictive ability to make an absolute fortune in the stock market. Of course, he will claim that it doesn't work that way, or that he doesn't want to use his powers for mere material gain or other such errant nonsense. Naturally, people who claim to reject moral arguments because they know society-wide outcomes will never ever prove their claimed ability to predict the future, even in the most inconsequential or localized ways. They will never be able to tell you what you're about to say next, or whether the price of gold will be higher or lower over the next five minutes, or what the unemployment rate will be next month. They will never be able to show you their incredible ability to predict the future in any empirical or testable fashion whatsoever. That which is asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. Now, since you are all very clever readers, you will be replying to me in your mind something along the lines of this. Ah, you say, Mr. Philosopher, that no one can accurately predict the future, but you also state that hitting children has negative outcomes. That is certainly true, both that I make that claim and that hitting children does have generally negative outcomes. However, we do not judge the morality of hitting children based upon positive or negative outcomes. For instance, we know that state control of the economy leads to massive inefficiencies. But we don't judge the morality of state control of the economy by its outcomes. Clearly, some people prefer to have state control over the economy, otherwise it wouldn't happen at all. The people who gain control over the economy benefit in terms of power and prestige, so the outcome is beneficial to them. It is just negative for many other people over the long run. Now, the question of state control of the economy is a moral question, not a consequentialist question. If every human being possesses the right to property, then using force to control the property of others is immoral. The consequences of forcefully controlling the property of others is negative for many, positive for some, and destructive in the long run for all. 
As I said, it's a complex question. The question of hitting children cannot be resolved by appealing to consequences because hitting children is massively beneficial to most people in society. If no one benefited from hitting children, then children would never be hit. Billions of parents across the world massively prefer to hit their children. They benefit from hitting their children. They want to hit their children. And the consequences of not hitting their children would be extraordinarily negative for those parents. Saying that hitting children leads to bad outcomes is empirically testable and can be clearly shown, as we will do in subsequent sections of this book. However, bad outcomes is not some magical otherworldly phrase that answers deep moral questions with empirical certainty. Some people benefited from the end of slavery. Other people were greatly harmed emotionally, morally, and economically. It certainly is true that children and society will benefit both now and in the future, respectively, if children are raised peacefully. But that doesn't answer the central question of if it is beneficial to not hit your children, then why do people hit their children? Because they want to and because they can. Addiction has negative consequences, but not for everyone, not all the time. Otherwise, there would be no such thing as addiction in the first place. The consequences of not hitting children will be extraordinarily negative for billions of people around the world. When people say that the consequences of a moral argument will be negative, they're lying. If you prefer hitting your children, as most parents do, then stopping that because it is moral will be very negative for you. If you haven't taken care of your health and you need thousands of dollars of medical interventions every month just to stay alive, then privatizing government-run health care will be negative for you. When people say the outcome of this moral argument will be disastrous, they are lying. Because what they are really saying, the truth of the matter is, the outcome of this moral argument will be disastrous for me. You see how this goes? When people argued that the end of slavery would be disastrous for society, they were trying to cover up the degree to which they themselves benefited from slavery. Maybe they had invested in slaves. Maybe they profited from slavery. Maybe they just liked beating helpless victims. Who knows? doesn't really matter. What matters is that when people claim that the effect of a moral argument will be negative, they're just saying that they oppose a moral argument that defines them as evil. Well, of course they do. No one who does evil wants to be revealed. People who tell themselves that they are good for hitting their children don't want to be convinced that it's evil to hit children. Expecting otherwise would be madness. Do you really think that the Coca-Cola company would pour all of its resources into making sure that Coca-Cola was banned worldwide? Would you expect an ambitious politician to donate all of his time, resources, and energy to his opponents? People respond to incentives. 
and the incentive they most respond to is morality. Moral arguments shape the world more than any other force. Changing moral definitions changes the world more than anything else. Most people like the world just as it is, thank you very much. Most parents prefer to hit their children and will strenuously oppose any thought, idea, argument or law that will stop them doing what they so obviously really like to do. In other news, apparently drug addicts get quite unhappy when their drug is unavailable. Shocking! Evildoers will always try to distort morality to justify their immorality, to turn vice into virtue. This is nothing new. Evildoers will always tell you that the consequences of moral clarity and ethical advancements will be disastrous for the world as a whole. They will try to get you to fear consequences so that you do not respect morality. Evildoers will ally with those who profit from evil to castigate those illuminating the world with moral clarity. It doesn't matter what happens to the world when we do good. We cannot judge the morality of hitting children by imaginary consequences because then those imaginary consequences will be inflated and turned demonic in order to scare us away from judging the morality of hitting children. If evildoers can scare you away from virtue by waving the imaginary bogeyman of consequences, then you have merely joined their ranks, surrendered your soul, and will turn the world into hell over time. Primarily, I'm not asking you to be good. I'm just asking you to be honest. If you don't want to stop hitting your children, Stop making up fantasy tales of universal disaster. Just admit to yourself that you don't want to stop hitting your children, that you prefer hitting your children because you can, and you can get away with it, and it gives you pleasure or relieves some negative emotion. A soldier once admitted that he just liked killing people. I can't believe I get paid to do this. If I wasn't wearing this uniform, I'd be put to death. You can't be moral without first being honest? I'm just asking you to be honest. I hope that leads to moral clarity, but I'm certainly not going to ask you to be moral first without going through the stage of honesty. Honesty is necessary, but not sufficient for morality. Asking someone to be moral without first being honest is like asking him to have big muscles without lifting weights. Lifting weights might not give him big muscles, but he will never get big muscles without lifting weights. If you don't want to teach your children any moral rules, reasonable standards, or let them experience any negative consequences for their choices, then don't hide behind some abstract nonsense called unparenting. Just say that you don't want to confront your children, you don't want any conflict that might come from imposing or inspiring standards that you don't really care how their lives turn out. You just want to indulge the hedonism of the present by avoiding any semblance of conflict or discontent with regards to your children. Perhaps you don't know how to productively inspire and negotiate with your children. Perhaps you were over-controlled as a child and you were swinging to the opposite extreme. 
perhaps you find other activities more interesting or stimulating than spending time with your children. All these problems can be solved, but they first have to be admitted. It is very cruel to your children to shield them from standards and consequences when they are young. Because when they grow into adulthood, standards and consequences will be imposed by other people and reality itself. If your child needs to pass an essential test, surely you will help your child study for it. You wouldn't just let your child do whatever she wanted, let her fail and never achieve what she wanted in life. That would be indifference to the point of absolute cruelty. Life, health, employment, finances, mortality itself all impose absolute external standards, requirements and consequences on our lives every day, as adults, forever. Failing to prepare your children for absolute external standards is only preparing them to fail as adults. But how do you impose such standards without being aggressive? 